0: Listening to Legal Talk Network.
1: Hi, and welcome to our podcast live from the ABA section of Antitrust Law. This is Christian Cotona of the Federal Trade Commission, and I am the host of today's episode. Joining me now, I have Subrata Betacharji, Cecil Chung, Ninette Dodu, Carlos Mena, and Pablo Trevisan. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. Before we get started, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and your background and where you work and what you do. Let's start with
2: Subrata. Well, thanks, Christian. My name is Subrata Badacharji and I practice antitrust at the Canadian law firm Borden Ladner-Chervet and I'm also one of the officers of the antitrust section. So I'm pleased to be here on this podcast because I'm excited by this sort of thing and I look forward to the chat. Great. Cecil, what about you?
0: Thank you. My name is Cecil Chung. I'm with the law firm of Chun in Seoul, Korea. That's far away from here. But I uh, used to practice in Washington, D.C. for quite a bit. And then I've been practicing at the, in Seoul for the past six years, all and focusing mainly on uh, international matters. Thank you, Cecil.
1: Ninette, could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Of course, so my name is Ninette Dodu, and I'm based in the Freshfields offices of Beijing, and I co-head the antitrust practice there. Before being in Beijing, I was uh, in Brussels, where I was uh, practicing for about 10 years. I've now been in China for coming up to nine years. Thank you, Ninette. Carlos?
4: Thank you. I'm a partner at Creel Garcia Cuellar, uh, and Enriquez in Mexico City. And uh, before this job, I was part of the Competition Commission of Mexico for 10 years, where I was Head of Enforcement.
1: Thank you. And Pablo, could you tell us about yourself?
5: Sure, Christian. I'm Pablo Trevisan. I'm a commissioner at the Argentinian Competition Commission since the beginning of 2016. And uh, before that, I've been in the private sector and I'm involved in the international task force here at the ABA section. And I am chairing the Antitrust in the Americas, which next year is going to be in Buenos Aires. So glad to see you all around there. Great. Thank you again all for joining us today.
1: Our topic today is Global Antitrust and the AB Antitrust Section's international activities. Our panel, as you can hear, is truly international. And our audience would appreciate your showing us some of your insight on this topic. As we all know, antitrust enforcement continues to expand globally, with over 130 countries today enforcing competition laws. Many of these countries joined the ranks of competition enforcers over the last couple of decades. My first question would be, what opportunities has the globalization of antitrust created in your practice? And what challenges does globalization mean for an antitrust practitioner?
2: Perhaps Subrata first? Sure. You know, there was a time, I think, when many of us thought that there was a reasonable prospect of convergence around the idea of efficiency-driven antitrust policy and enforcement. And what I'm finding interesting now is that this notion that we would have antitrust policy enforcement isolated from other industrial policy imperatives is clearly something that other jurisdictions are looking at, questioning, thinking about. And this is also, I guess, one of the reasons why you see this rise of reference to hipster antitrust and notions like this. So I think what is interesting for those of us who are practicing, and antitrust is a wonderfully globalized area. So even if you are like me and you practice Canadian antitrust, we cannot ignore the very practical developments that are happening in major jurisdictions around the world. And so I think one of the challenges for people like us is to try to figure out, you know, where is this all going to go in terms of international practice, international coordination? Keeping in mind that no matter what happens, a degree of international coordination and understanding, whether formal or informal, will be a very important part of what we have to do over the next 10 to 15 years. So that's sort of my current sort of thing I'm thinking about. Thank you, Subrata.
0: Cecil, what are your views? Yes, uh, Subrata made excellent comments. And just to add a couple of uh, my own thoughts that I have come to. Base over the years is that, you know, we often talk about convergence and divergence and globalization standard, best practice, all those wonderful things. But we then tend to forget each jurisdiction has its own rich history, not just both cultural, political, judicial system. It's all different. And their understanding of a competition, their understanding of a fairness, that's all different. So we need to take into account what the local characteristics are. And then you know, have a, be more realistic about what we can achieve together, and how what we can learn to say tolerate the differences from uh, other jurisdictions' differences. So maybe that's I think once we realize, then we we can achieve more than what we have been able to achieve over the years.
1: That's great. You both mentioned the international antitrust dialogue cooperation and, and and convergence. Carlos, could you give us a flavor how today's international antitrust cooperation work in practice?
4: Yeah, I think international cooperation is increasing every day. First you have the bilateral cooperation that is very important or trilateral in some cases as with the NAFTA cooperation. But also you have all the multilateral forums that you have all around the world and they are increasing in importance. For example, with the OECD, with the work the ICN is doing. I think we're seeing more uh, multilateral cooperation and convergence happening in those forums.
1: Thank you. Uh, Turning to one of the regions represented here today, Latin America, there have been important antitrust developments in a number of Latin American countries in recent years. One of them is Argentina, which earlier this year adopted an antitrust reform bill to modernize the country's competition regime. Pablo, could you tell us about the key aspects of the Argentine reform bill?
5: Sure, Christian. As you know, we we took office at the beginning of 2016. And uh, since then, we had a lot of work. We received a huge backlog of cases. Uh, we had to improve our own performance indicators. and uh, But one of the main uh, projects or the goals we had was to draft a new bill. We started the process in January of that year. And... Fortunately, in on 9 of May May the 9th this year the law was enacted by the Congress uh, the main changes just to name a few of them as uh, I think in a certain way we have introduced very important institutional changes we are going to a more independent authority and we have also established a new judicial specialized judicial review process we have also, introduced some tools to increase deterrence in our law. The sanctions were honestly very, very low. Those were actually, I would say, more an invitation to collude than sanctions. So that was actually, I mean, the level was uh, raised quite a lot. Uh, we have introduced a very modern uh, leniency program uh, that Argentina has had no leniency program since uh, until now. We have also introduced some rules for private enforcement, I think that private damages is definitely one of the also the key issues to cause more deterrence in, in, in antitrust. We have also created or went back, let's say, to a real ex ante control, a pre merger control that we were supposed to have in Argentina, but d- due to certain aspects of the developments in Argentina, in reality it was more an ex post system that was, honestly, in my opinion, nonsense. So. We also in in that area we updated the thresholds of notifications. So now we will only receive those important transactions that may have some effects in the in the economy. Because until two or three months ago, we were receiving definitely almost anything, and uh, that is helping us also to explore or uh, get our human resources more concentrated in important transactions. And also, with the elephant in the room, that it's uh, mainly conducts, I think. Those are the main uh, changes. Thank you, that's great. And it's it's
1: been terrific to hear about these important developments in Argentina, Pablo. Carlos, what other important developments in Latin America would you highlight in particular in the cartel and leniency area?
4: You mentioned Argentina's example is uh, amazing. And I think many years ago, when you wanted to talk about antitrust in Latin America, you only talked about Brazil or mainly about Brazil. But now with Argentina coming up with this example, with this new law, and also uh, Chile and Mexico, and you see Colombia and Peru coming. I think that's a great example of how international this uh, issue has become. The challenges are also there. In Latin America, for example, with the Andean community, there is a community of four of the um, main regions in, in Latin America you see the challenge because they are bringing cases as a community and sometimes they uh, enter into conflict with the regional decisions of these countries. For example, Colombia and Peru have been against some decisions by the Andean community. So that's in the cartel arena and especially regarding leniency in these regions.
1: That's great. Turning to another region, Asia, China's National People Congress recently passed legislation to consolidate the existing three antitrust enforcement agencies into one. Ninette, could you tell us about the potential ramifications of this important development?
3: Sure, very happy to do so. I think perhaps uh, first of all, just stepping back a bit, the merger had been under discussion for quite a long time. And so in some respects, it was no surprise that the three agencies merged. Perhaps what took some people by surprise, including some of the officials themselves, is how quickly it actually happened this year. In terms of potential ramifications, I think to some extent it still remains too early to assess precisely what will happen going forward. My own view, and perhaps just to offer a few, a few suggestions, would be the following. Certainly the merger has been uh, hugely welcomed, I think, by the legal community for one key reason which is that hopefully going forward, there might be consistency of approach. There were fairly significant differences between at least two of the agencies, the National Development and Reform Commission and the State Administration for Industry and Commerce. The NDRC was responsible for so-called price-related violations of the anti-monopoly law and the SAIC for non-price. And as a result of that, there was some differences in terms of approach, for example, in the area of leniency, how many companies could seek leniency in terms of approach and as far as calculation of, of fines and confiscation of illegal gains. The list is, is quite long and I could go on. And so going forward under the the new agency, the State Administration for Market Regulation, at least these two agencies will come together and we will be able to see the consistency of approach. As far as MoFCOM is concerned, I think we can expect the legacy MoFCOM officials to continue in the way they have operated in the in the past. I think the key change will be who will lead the anti-monopoly bureau going forward. I think tone from the top will certainly impact how the officials operate. If one listens to rumors, one of the candidates that's currently being considered is someone who's quite conservative. And that suggests that we might see um, a slightly more robust approach to antitrust enforcement, at least there's a potential for that. Given that the Anti-Maloppy Bureau is part of a broader agency responsible for market regulation, I think there is a potential to see antitrust also being used, whether directly or inadvertently, as one of the important uh, tools to be able to address inefficiencies in the marketplace. And so I think it's really going to be watch the space in terms of the immediate few months, next few months, I think it will be very much business as usual, but very much let's watch the space and see how things evolve.
1: Thank you for that insight, Ninette. Procedure of fairness and due process has been a hot topic in international antitrust for years now, including in Asia. Cecil, could you tell us what issues and challenges do you see in this area? And and also how the ABA has been involved in this space?
0: Yes, so, you know, I mean, obviously, as you said, this has been one of the most important and often talked about topics by various bar associations and organizations and us and among practitioners and agency officials over the years. For the ABA itself the the NIH section had for the past two years, the procedural transparency task force. Uh, so we are about to actually wrap up our mission and the task force will no longer exist, but of course that, that the work itself will continue on. So my understanding is that we will, uh, there will be a report uh, summarizing we ha- what we have found and uh, from our uh, task force activities uh, over the past mm-hmm. two years. The key points is, is this, oftentimes people mistake this procedural fairness due process concerns in, as in terms of uh, some lesser developed antitrust countries. The country with shorter history of enforcement having still some issues, but that's not it. Even more developed nations like the US or European Commission, they all have some shortcomings that the you know, people have become to use too. But from the outsider's perspective, is, it can look somewhat bizarre or, or is it difficult to understand? So this uh, that project was really to review not just the the, the newer jurisdictions but the existing jurisdictions uh, practices and see what areas could be improved or how much how well they are doing or, or what can be improved even further. Uh, just to add, uh, you know, there's also the, that's the ABA level activities. But and as you know, the each jurisdiction has been talking about in in fact. Uh, developing some measures, taking some measures. So, to give you a, a concrete example, the KFTC, that's Korea Fair Trade Commission, has taken a number of concrete steps and adopted uh, procedural improvement. In the years past, it sometimes it depended on which case handler you dealt with, that uh, whether you will be allowed to sit in with your clients when the agency investigators investigate or interview witnesses. And now they have written guidelines, uh, spelling out the process and procedures for each both sides to know and work with. The KFTC is also now overhauling their entire antitrust enforcement regime. So in addition to substantive changes, improvement, they are still further tweaking their procedural issues to make it even better. Now, of course, that there could be some unintended consequences when you change your system. And but I think that we'll all have to keep an eye on and make sure that uh, everything improves over time. Thank you. As we can
1: see, there is a lot happening in international antitrust and competition regimes around the world. For decades, the ABA antitrust section has been very active in participating in the international antitrust dialogue. But how international is the ABA? And what advice would you, as international members of the antitrust section, have for young lawyers and others who are interested in following international developments through the
2: section? So, Brianne? So, let me take a crack at that. And first of all, uh, Christian, you you yourself are responsible as a co-chair for one of the most successful initiatives that our section does internationally because we have a very active international committee, which serves as a clearinghouse for many of our international members that want to sort of interact with each other and learn more about what's happening within the section. But, you know, the really incredible fact is that despite the size of the section's membership, the fastest growing demographic within the membership are international members. And so the section has made a concerted effort over really the last five to 10 years to truly globalize. And there are some things that we can do that the other organizations would find it hard to do. We have a spring meeting that is, in our view, the preeminent form for antitrust discussion and interaction. And that happens every spring in D.C. That is sort of an example of what we do. But we just don't do that. On a day-to-day basis, we have some of the world's leading antitrust attorneys, whether in private practice, whether in enforcement, whether in-house... They are helping with our programming. They're helping with comments that we put out in response to jurisdictions requests for input about initiatives that they're looking at. We put out newsletters. We are very active on a day-to-day basis in engaging with our international demographic. And so I expect that to continue as we go forward. The other thing I would add is that, you know, the section is trying to push its activities out of North America. We have an active sort of series of programs which are designed really not just to profile what we do but to profile local excellence where we go. So for example, Pablo is chairing our antitrust in the Americas program coming up, that is a very important part of what we do. We do antitrust in Asia, we do many other things. So anyone who's listening to this who uh, for some reason thought that the A in the ABA refers only to America, I would say as a Canadian member who is an officer, that is not the case and I would encourage you to get involved
0: okay uh just to add a few more things you know a lot of what we do uh, is international and in today I mean, the name of this program is globalization or international aspect so just about every committee or task force and the component of the antitrust sections work has something to do with uh, international issues some committees uh more exclusively or primarily deal with that. So when you mentioned international committee of which I have been vice chair for the past three years and going on to my fourth year. And as I mentioned that I've been a member of the procedural transparency task force, obviously covering a lot of international angles and different jurisdictions. But if you look at other committees, cartels, mergers, everything. A lot of what they do, obviously, cover international angles in today's world. So there are a lot of opportunities for those who are not, let's say, US lawyers, have some work to do. I mean, just looking around here, uh, we have a truly international uh, team of international antitrust practitioners uh, and lawyers here. So there are a lot of uh, opportunities for, for new members or even existing members to become more active. To give you some examples, concrete examples, uh, as as you all know, we have uh, antitrust law developments. Uh, We are now on uh, eighth edition. That comes out every few years. And every year we have annual update. So that's an exciting project uh, to update uh, what has been happening uh, over the past year. A Number of newsletters, uh, the International Committee itself uh, published every three months. uh, uh, international antitrust bulletin, including uh, what sort of have become popular, what in the world did I miss for the past three months? The kind of uh, the, the developments that were sort of interesting and amusing to follow, but maybe you might have forgotten about it or you might have missed So we want to give opportunity to read about it and hear about it. And then, of course, on a daily basis, uh, you will see a number of postings on our uh, website. That's not just international committee, but various committees that the interesting new developments get shared and discussed. Then each country has, uh, we have uh, country reporters. And we have anybody who's willing to participate and, and do this, uh, they can volunteer and they can actually make a significant and meaningful contributions. Uh, we also have a, just give you one final, we also have a more formal uh, comment project. For example, whenever each jurisdiction comes up with a new proposal, then our section and you know, international committee or different committees have a chance to uh, formulate uh, the official comment of the section. One of the most recent example would be the, when the KFGC uh, were going to revise IP guidelines, the, our anti-trust section and number of other sections prepared joint comments and not really telling them what to do, but pointing out the uh, the differences or the areas of ambiguity. And that uh, comment project is an ongoing one because uh, at a given time, there are always a number of projects going on. And that's uh, that's also a the interesting and a bit more formal opportunities to be involved.
2: Thank you, Cesar. Subrata, you have something to add? Look, I would just say uh, young
0: lawyers, any
2: young lawyers to this podcast, this is a great time to be interested in antitrust. When I started practicing, I won't say how long ago, when I started practicing, I was excited by the globalization of antitrust and that was because of the emergence of the EU as an important jurisdiction. But now it has exploded around the world. If you are an attorney starting antitrust, getting involved in the section, we have an active young lawyers section. The committees are very open to young lawyers' participation. It is the best way to get involved and I think is one of the most exciting areas of legal practice now because of that globalization. That's a great point. Thank you, Subrata.
1: To conclude, I would be interested in some of your predictions for global antitrust. Looking ahead, what issues do you foresee to occupy the agenda of international antitrust discussions? And also, how do you expect the ABA to continue to participate in the global antitrust dialogue?
3: I think three things come to mind. I think the first thing is continued focus and interest on the interface between IP and antitrust. If I take China, for example, we're seeing some very, very interesting cases spring up there. We're seeing cases as well, IP antitrust litigation, antitrust investigations in places like India, you know, in Korea. And so I suspect that that's something that's likely to continue. The second key trend that I'm also seeing increasingly is really digitization and what it means for us as antitrust lawyers, we all know the concept of big data, but I think critically how that interfaces with data privacy, how that interfaces with cybersecurity, and then also how that interfaces with antitrust. You know, Going forward, will antitrust lawyers now be expected to know a lot more about computers, how to write codes, for example, to be able to determine proper compliant conduct versus non-compliant conduct? I think the third key theme that I'm seeing increasingly from the perspective of Asia is a point that uh, Carlos mentioned earlier, which is international cooperation. Using China as a good example, I've seen them cooperate on significant number of cases quite recently. Uh, and I think since the anti-monopoly law came into force some 10 years ago now, certainly between the EU and China, for example, they've cooperated on 40-odd cases. Last year, I was working on a very large merger with remedies in a number of jurisdictions. And I saw China cooperating with Korea, wanting waivers, with South Africa, wanting waivers with Brazil, with the EU, the list is endless. And so I suspect that this is a trend that's likely to continue going forward. Thank
5: you, Ninette. Yeah, I mean, following what um, Ninette said, from our point of view also, international cooperation has been really key in the last three years. As Carlos mentioned, bilateral cooperation is important in Latin America mainly. We have worked together with authorities such as the Brazilian authority, the Chilean, the Mexican, signing the waivers, etc. Same with the U.S. and Europe in general. So, in that sense, I think that will definitely continue. And uh, Subrata also said this is uh, a new era uh, of antitrust enforcement in Latin America, also not only Europe the US, Asia, but also in Latin America, very interesting things are happening and cooperation between agencies. I think it's key there. One other thing that when we got to the office, we stressed this cooperation and also capacity building with our team. And in that capacity building uh, work, we had received a lot of officers, uh, practitioners, academics from all around the world that I think that's also helping a lot our own commission to to get better and better. And on that line, I would like to stress the service that we received from organizations such as the ABA. In this process of the last three years, uh, for example, with the draft bill, we have worked very close together with some of the, for example, the International Task Force, the Section of International Law. They have made very useful comments for us in the draft bill, in the process of drafting the bill and also in the discussions in the Congress. And I think that really helped us a lot to get a better act and the best possible new competition act we can have in Argentina. In that sense, I would like to stress the work of the ABA, not only in, in the draft field, but also in guidelines at like the merger guideline we had last year. Right now we have the leniency guideline, which Carlos actually was the leader of that drafting group. So, I mean, th- the way in things are done, maybe we get the final product, but being involved at the ABA as I am directly, I can see from first experience how things are done, how seriously they are discussed. And then the products we have at the agency at least are definitely very, very important for us.
1: Very good. Thank you. I think it looks like we have reached the end of our program and I would like to thank you all for participating in today's discussion. Last, if our listeners have any questions or wish to follow up with you, how can they reach out to each of
5: you? Well, in our case, uh, we have a webpage of the Argentinian Competition Commission that you can Google that, that's easy to be find. And uh, my email is uh, Pablo Trevisan, like my name and surname, at gmail. Feel free to contact me there.
3: So I can be reached by email, nanette, N-I-N-E-T-T-E, dot dodo, at freshfields.com. Or I can also be reached by phone, and my phone number is actually available on on the firm's website as well.
0: For me, Cecil Chung, given time differences and our traveling commitments, the best way would be email. Uh, my email is c.s.chung at yulchon.com. That's Y-U-L-C-H-O-N. So my name is so long, I won't spell
2: out my email address. But the easiest way is to go to my firm's website, which is www.blg.com. Or frankly, uh, the section of antitrust law also has profiles of the officers, and I can be reached through that as well.
4: For me, my email, it's carlos.mena. That's carlos.mena at carlos.mena. Kril.mx, that's C-R-E-E-L.mx. Thank you.
1: And uh, listeners can reach me at kcotona at ftc.gov. Well, this concludes another podcast from the AB Antitrust section. If you like what you've heard, please find us and rate us at Apple Podcast. I'm Christian Katona, and until next time, thank you for listening.